Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show that focuses on people and organizations making an impact in Dallas and North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and joining us now this morning is Miss Regina Oliver. She is the president and founder of the Oliver Family Charities. How are you doing, Regina? I'm good. How are you today, Chris? Let's talk about some of the things that the charity has already done. The Oliver Family Charities, you guys have partnered with the Nancy Lieberman Foundation and created some dream basketball courts in Oak Cliff and in Lubbock, haven't you? Absolutely, we did. We sure did. Can you talk about how that happened and your relationship with Nancy? Okay, so how it happened, how it came about was Nancy, of course, the Hall of Famer herself, was. she is a coach in the big three and Andre played for the big three. So they formed a relationship while uh, he was still alive. He joined the big three. He was not joined. He was acclimated. I call it acclimated to the big three in 2018. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, 2017. And so they just got to be friends. They enjoyed each other's company. They traveled together to different cities for games and, you know, as such. She was a, a very good, how would I want to say it? She was a very good friend with Andre. Andre respected A friend and mentor. Her. How about friend and mentor? Friend and mentor, and he respected her for what she has done, what she has. <laughs> and it helped you know, that it both of them were here in Dallas, and he was always working out, and she'd show up at the gym. Right, exactly, exactly. And she was, as a matter of fact, she was actually going to, they were going to be, they were chosen to go to China together for the big three when they were going over to China. And he had an issue with uh, one of his knees or a thigh or some issue. And she was actually going to take Andre to her physician the morning he was killed. They had an appointment together wow. with his daughter. Mm -hmm. So, but nevertheless, they enjoyed each other's company. They played pool together. They talked crap together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were. Yeah. He he highly respected Nancy, and so do we. So he Nancy is a longtime friend of mine as well, and I was there the day the the court was dedicated in Oak Cliff. Can you talk about that day too? Because that was a very nice day, a wonderful occasion, and where the that basketball court is located. That was a very emotional day. It was a great day, and it was a very hot day. <laughs> oh, yes. It's summertime. 
I know. I think I lost my, my balance there before a minute. But it was very, um, it was instrumental to the community. And the reason why I say that is because that is the very area Andre wanted something there to remember him by as far as helping the children. Because, yes, what, we, he went to school, all through the schools that he attended, elementary, junior high, and high school. Name them all. Exactly. Name them all and name exactly Birdie where that court Alexander. is located so everybody can go by there. I know, right? Bertie Alexander Elementary, mm-hmm. D.A. Halsey Junior High, and, of course, my all-time big school, David W. Carter, all within the same community. So he wanted to build there in that community. He wanted a court there. But, you know, he never knew how it was going to come about. He never knew. And I always told him, just keep the faith. God is going to work it out. And lo and behold, he said Nancy Lieberman. And lo and behold, Toyota came along to assist Nancy with getting that done in the city of Dallas. It was a joyous occasion. The court is located at the YMCA on uh, in Dallas on Hampton Road. Yes, it I is. I don't have the exact address. Yes, it's, it's right off Hampton of 67 and, and, and Hampton Road. It sure is. In Hampton Road. It is. It, yeah, it's it's great. It is great. As a matter of fact, I drive by there at least once a month just to get out and look at the court or even take a picture. Because it, it is very, very, it's, it's an honorable thing to have been done by her. And it's just, you know, we just love it. We love it. The girls, his daughters love it. And you know what's amazing about that court? The kids are out there playing on it, and they know who he is. And if they hadn't heard, they get to know. And then you guys and Nancy did the same thing in Lubbock, where he is a true legend. Everybody knows that Texas Tech has a really, really good basketball program right now, men's basketball team. They've been in the Final Four. They've made some strides. But he is their all-time leading scorer and tell us about how you guys were able to get the court built in Lubbock as well. It was the fan support. It was Coach Chris Beard, who was a true friend to Andre. He was the truest coach to Andre while he was at Texas Tech. He loved Andre. Nancy loved Andre. They collaborated together. They come up with this idea to put something there in remembrance of him. And the fans went crazy. They did that and then some. They did. They did. And it's just been a joy because the court is on, guess what? The boys and girls gym, in the back of the gym, the Boys and Girls Club of Lubbock, Texas, Mm -hmm. which is about 10 miles from Texas Tech University. You know, it's, it's awesome. And it's, that day was joyous. That day was good, but it was cold. It was really cold <laughs> that day. But, you know, to have the mayor out and the city council out and some of the police officers of Lubbock, Texas out, it was it was good. It was good, and I'm, I'm very grateful, and I'm headed there in July again. It's good. It's good. We're very grateful. We're very honored. We are yeah. so honored to have you on the show this morning. We're talking to Regina Oliver. She is the president of the Oliver Family Charities. She is the mom of the late, great Andre Emmett. Your sister's also something special because she always claims for teaching him how to play some basketball. 
Can you talk about your family? Because it is a family charity, and I know different members of your family are, are really big in the Dallas community, especially in Oak Cliff. Yes. Andre has a sister, my daughter. She's the oldest. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought Andre was the oldest. No, my daughter is the oldest. I have a 41-year-old daughter, uh, Dara. And, I've, of course, I have a close – we have a very close-knit family. My sister, who is the president of Oliver Family Cherries, Karen Oliver Thomas, who resides in Midlothian, she is the lady. She is the support. Yes. And she will tell everybody that she taught him how to play basketball. <laughs> and it was, it's so ironic. They both wore number 14 at Carter High School. They both wore wow. number 14. Isn't that something? Yes. Small wow. world. Basketball. So, yeah. And they both ran track. They both ran track. So the athleticism, she claims that she gave it to him. <laughs> she told me that. She told me that at the event at St. Luke's. And speaking of the event at St. Luke's, you guys do so much charity work. See, that's this is what this show's all about, letting people know about organizations that they might not have heard that have been doing so many things in this Dallas-Fort Worth area in North Texas. And you guys have been on the scene just recently over the last couple of years, but you've done so much. Can you talk about the event that you had at St. Luke's? And I think you guys are passing out. Um, well, just I'll let you explain. Okay. So we partnered with our church. That's our home church, and I've been there all my life. So that's our home church, and we passed the Butler. The prison. Yes, Pastor Richie Butler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, but we will never forget about Zan Home. Exactly. Never, ever. The legend. The legend himself. So we partnered with the prison ministry of the church, which is called the Angel Tree Committee. And what that does is what we what that committee does is we cater to the children whose parents are either incarcerated or deceased. And what we do is we come together and we give them things that they are in need of, not just want. You know, when, when we say in need of, we talk in tennis shoes, we talk in clothes, we talk in personal uh, items. And we were able to partner with them one year and not just one year, two years, two years back to back. And it has been like phenomenal. The last Christmas, and we always do it during Christmas, always on the campus of St. Luke. And we always do during the, like a week before Christmas, where they actually come up. We make it safe for everybody. They come up, they drive up, and we actually put the items in the car for the families, whoever picks them up. Mm-hmm. And it is so well coordinated. It is so well coordinated. And it's a joyous occasion. It's the Christmas music going. And because Christmas was under his favorite holiday, and his oldest daughter was born on Christmas Day. So we wow. just make a big party out of it. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's you know emotional at the same time. But it's fun, and I look at the kids' face and the parents' faces. Because, you know, these children, they have, you know, it's not nothing that they did. Right. Nothing, you know, the prison or deceased. I, I can relate to both. I can relate to both. And it just warms my heart for us to be able to party with them each and every year and give back this past year we actually I actually gave some skincare to the teenagers, so I was excited about that. Very nice. Very nice. Yes, and, yeah, it was good. And as a matter of fact, the number rose from over 200 the first year to close to 300 this past year. 
So we are looking forward. Like Pastor Button says, we're going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And we are excited to participate and help these babies because that's what Andre is all about. That's what he was about. That's what he would do if he was here. Give the babies what they need, what they need, and let's just get it done and love on them. Yes. So I say I stand proud and just honored to do that, to keep his legacy alive and doing that. Because Andre loved the kids. It's all about him and those kids. Yes, so, yeah. he was. He he was always about that. Um, and he was such a good person, not just a, a great athlete. He was a good person. And he was always thinking about, you know, kids who might follow in his footsteps. I just, and I don't want to bring back bad memories because I know sometimes sometimes things make you stronger, but I didn't. I don't want to, you know, like dwell on anything sad. But, you know, a lot of people heard about how he was tragically murdered. He was just sitting in his car in East Dallas, and there was this guy just showed up and just shot him. And mm-hmm. a lot of people may not have heard if there was any resolution. Can you catch everybody up on what happened with his situation and the person who, quote, unquote, got away with it? Well, he didn't get away with it. He right. probably thought he did. They have arrested three people, charged three guys with capital murder. Two of them are out on bond right now, sitting at home watching TV. There is one guy that is still there that um, I would just say he's the, quote, alleged shooter. I will say alleged mm-hmm. because no one has been tried yet. The trial has not come, has come and been scheduled and rescheduled and rescheduled. It's already been rescheduled four times since January. I'm glad that you're able to focus your energies on the positive, which is the charities. And I know right. you got some things coming up this summer. Can you tell everybody what's going on with the Oliver family's charities in honor of Andre Emmett this summer? Sure. So this is May. We are getting ready to head to Lubbock, Texas for the second annual day basketball camp for the kids and that is july the 16th and it's from eight to four in lubbock and then what we'll do is double back down the road to dallas texas august 27th is andre's birthday and that is the date planned for the dallas camp at the camp the gym there on on hampton road at the ymca there so we do the july and we do august we do July for Lubbock. We do August for Dallas back to school and to celebrate his birthday. And then we will go on down the road to December, and we will do the Angel Tree program mm-hmm. again with St. Luke. Well, you know I'm there for you if you need me. You already know that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, Regina. We, we are taking, you know, we are taking donations. We are taking mm-hmm. volunteers. Then you can reach us at the OliverFamilyCharities.com. And to find out all the new up-and-coming events. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And joining us now is the president of the Urban Specialist, Mr. Anton Lucky. How you doing, Anton? Man, I'm doing fine on this beautiful day. I met Bishop, the late great Bishop Omar Jawar. Uh, actually, I was I was in prison, uh, Chris. Yep. And uh, I was doing some work in prison, man. I just have to note that I made a transformation in prison. I mean, I really became accountable to my actions. I really looked in the mirror and addressed what was in the mirror, and I got it got it together. And then I began to teach men in prison, right? Mm-hmm. And so at the time that I was doing that, as I've mentioned before. I happened to look at the TV in the day room and seeing this guy in my neighborhood, a young guy in my neighborhood, and he was talking about the very same things that I was teaching and preaching in prison, right? And he was in my neighborhood. He was two of my cousins. And I said immediately, I wrote a letter to my cousin and said, hey, whoever that guy you with, we need to be connected because he is speaking the language. He is in, he is in the, 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 the vibe. And so... You know, fast forward, I met him when I got out of prison. My words to Omar Jawadin was, I've had a hand in destroying my neighborhood, but I went and did my time. I've atoned, I've repented, and now I want to help create my neighborhood. I want to stop young young men in my community from taking a path that I took. You know, I was an mm-hmm. A on the road student, talented, gifted student, but the neighborhood swallowed me up. And so I, and, and and I and it was survival, and so I wanted to change that. I wanted I ain't want kids to have to choose the negativity or choose gangs versus education versus trade versus you know doing all other pro-social things that you know that that advance them in life. And I want to I want to work on it because I didn't have that for me growing up. I didn't have mm-hmm. it was no intervention for kids like me who was who were great students, but we were suffocated by what was happening in our community. And we had no adult that we can call on to help us and navigate us through that rugged terrain. And so I, when I met Omar, that's what I said to him. And the first thing he said to me, he said, well, we got to go to your enemies and you have to ask them for forgiveness. And I remember saying to him, Chris, I said, hey, bro, I didn't think that far into this strategy. I was talking about right. my <laughs> That was a but big he, step. Yeah, that was a big step. And I said, brother, that's suicide. But he convinced me. He was so convinced and he convinced me to do just that. I went into another neighborhood that, that was a rival neighborhood unarmed. And I asked for forgiveness and a passage to work with young people so they don't make the mistakes I made. And that's, that was the beginning. That was the actually the first beginning of me and Omar, Bishop Omar relationship and the start of what's now 22 years later, 
called the Urban Specialists. Now, the Urban Specialists have made nationwide news because initially y'all were brokering truces with gang members and gangs. Yeah. Can you talk about that and how it's grown from there? Oh, yeah. We, we started out in one, our first line of business uh, was to get these warring factions, you know, uh, to agree to peace. From there, we went into the schools. Uh, and so we, we took guys from those neighborhoods, indigenous to those neighborhoods, who were the OGs, and we, we, we trained them and we put them in the school to, be, to act as hall monitors, peacekeepers, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And they did. And, it, and it's funny, right, because, you know, you got the big homie in the school. It's hard to be a bully. Exactly. It's hard to act bad. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you got you to gotta be on the right path. And so we did that, man. And, and then in, in a couple of years, the University of Minnesota did a blind study. We did not know that it was happening. But they did a blind study and said that the violence in the school, the previous year of us going in was a consistent 395, 92 violent incidents a year. We went in. One year after we went in, the violence went down to only two incidents that happened. And it kind of remained that as, as long as we were in those schools. And the only constant, only variable was the, our guys going into and then girls going into the school. And so it just kind of proved that this kind of model, and, and that became the shaping of the model that we have today because Bishop Omar, he, was, he, he always said that the OGs, the ones who have been marginalized, the guys who have been removed from community, who carry the cadence and the rhythm of the community, who has proximity, who the kids, the young people emulate, is the solution to stopping violence in the urban communities, which was, when he said that way back when, it was, you know, you, you listen like, what? And, but he was, he was emphatic about if we can change guys' character, then their characteristics had a market advantage. We can get these guys to understand that they influenced the fact that they've navigated and went through things that they've been through. They've been to prison and they can't, and they transformed their lives that it's a market advantage in the culture. You can help young people because yeah. you can use your influence to say to young people, look, Man, I went down that road, and I can tell you what's going to happen at the end of that road. Mm-hmm. You can then begin to change the direction and the trajectory of young people in urban communities. And that became the model by which we took around the country uh, training others in other cities on how to do this. This is absolutely amazing what you've been doing. Of course, I've been aware of it for quite some time. I, I always like to tell kids especially there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information. Mm-hmm. Wisdom mm-hmm. means you've lived it. And so those right. those OGs you were talking about, they had the respect because they had the wisdom. It's, they, right. they, didn't, they had more than just knowledge. They had knowledge and wisdom because they had lived that life, and they were trying to uh, warn those that were following them, this is not the path you want to go to or, or there's a better way. And they had credibility that way. And right. I think it's, it's absolutely amazing and impressive that the urban specialists, you know, over the last 22 years have been able to broaden your scope and yes. and also, I guess, make civic leaders aware in different cities that you've been to that there's a way to partner with law enforcement. Because law enforcement right. may not know the individuals in that neighborhood or the individuals might think they kind of respect the police officers, but they don't really know them. 
there's a way of of joining together. Can you talk about how you've been able to do that with cities and city officials as well as uh, law enforcement? Right, because I think, you know, for us, it's acknowledging a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, you got young, we got young men who grew up in communities that, that, that's lacking of resources, that, that has all these challenges. Uh, you get suffocated by it, right? Mm-hmm. And you develop this kind of cognitive, cognitive distortion uh, of life, right? Like we all have, like me. You know, I grew up, my, 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 my understanding was warped, right? Uh, and so a lot of us grew up like that, right? We grew up there with that understanding. So we mm-hmm. had this, we had this, this visceral, uh, uh, opposition towards police, et cetera, et cetera, when we are young and we don't know no better, but we have that, you know, one of the things that we do and we get men to understand it, that you have to truly understand, uh, the dynamics. You, you truly got to understand those, those bad perceptions that you got to, you got to question everything you know, that you were taught. You got to question that stuff because a lot of times we internalize things that that's toxic things. That's not right, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And one of the things like, even for me, when I was going through my, my process, I had to look in the mirror and own everything that I'd done, every choice that I made that put me in that position. And, and so even when in prison, you know, I, you know, I couldn't argue with the police officer, the guards. You know, that's a common thing in prison. Right. I couldn't argue with the guards because they didn't put me in there, Chris. I right. put myself in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I seen a lot of brothers arguing with the guards and, and it's us against them. And I'm telling brothers, hey, he didn't put you in here. The choice you made put you in here. You have to deal with what causes you to make that choice to put you in this in this predicament. So going off those learning, that's what I used to teach brothers in prison. So going off those learning, uh, even coming out and, and doing this work in communities, we have to understand. You know, we teaching individuals, especially the people that come into our in our, in our network, that law enforcement is not your adversary. That's not your adversary, and you got to be able to say that. You got to own up to that. You know, we got to say that lawlessness, uh, whether it's police or whether it's a brother in the street. Is not tolerated. See, those principles, mm-hmm. you know, that we that we started importing into the people who come into our neighborhood. It's certain principles that you have to understand if you if you're trying to move the needle. And so, for us working with law enforcement in terms of making sure that our communities are safe, making sure the relationships with 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 those in the community is very key and ex- integral to what we do. Because we did a survey, right? We did we did 2,500 surveys in four different neighborhoods that was identified as hotspot neighborhoods for gangs, drugs, mm-hmm. everything under the sun, right? And as we as we canvassed and talked to the residents, right, we asked them like five or six key questions, right? And 92% of the people who took them surveys said that they wanted more police in their communities. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, they wanted, said they more. wanted more police. They wanted community. more they order. Wanted, they wanted more. They wanted to feel safe. They wanted to feel safe. safe. They didn't want to be. They didn't want to be. They didn't want to be. You know, harassed, but they wanted to feel safe because exactly. they are. They are afraid of the same elements that we see every day on the nightly news of, of violence that's happening. You know, innocent people getting shot. Et cetera, et cetera. They're afraid of that same element, and they want that element out, out their community. And so that's different 
then talking heads who say, hey, we don't we don't need police, et cetera, et cetera. We work with people on the bottom. We work with the people who 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 are trying to find ways to better themselves and better their communities, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what they said, Chris. They said we need more police out. We don't want to be harassed, but we want more police out. And that's that's contrary to the national narrative. So that's saying to us, okay, that we have to have a relationship with law enforcement and if we want to get our communities back. Mm-hmm. And so we teaching that to people. And that's a different, you know, coming from an organization that was started by a black man, led by a black man, you know, to focus on black issues, et cetera, et cetera. For us to be saying, hey, we we leading with a relationship with law enforcement in the way, not our guys being detectives, not our guys being Terry Mason, none of that. I got just saying that we have to build these relationships so that we employ strategies to keep our communities safe, to keep our grandmothers and grandfathers who are burglar barred in their house and can't come out. We want to, yeah. we want them to be able to come out their house and sit on their porch and work in their garden or be able to go to any go to the grocery store without worrying about being mowed down by some kid who who don't have no empathy. Mm-hmm. And so we're attacking that. We're attacking that situation in terms of violence. We're attacking the situation because we do know that kids, these kids are growing up without their parents, without their fathers in the household, or fathers in prison, or strange relationships. They're growing up without love, without somebody properly telling them that they love them and showing them the love, showing them the love, and showing them, showing them the way. So we are, we we supplement that with individuals who understand that plight but have changed, have had redemption and transformation at the forefront of their life. And we allow them to go back and mentor those young people to focus on, you know, junior high school where kids normally go deep in that. And we say, step in, be the father, provide the information, show a bunch of love to these young people because we believe that's how you how you change the tide. And we show them we we do this in partnership with DPD, with the law enforcement, because we want them to see police in that light versus in a 911 situation. So it's changing the dichotomy. It's changing the mind to see you got OGs with working with law enforcement. And I, and I want to say this, you don't just have to have the background of an OG or someone been in jail to mentor these young people. You just got to have a heart to love and a heart to care. That's it. Exactly. That's what's required. And we've been doing this for, for a long time, man, just across the country. But I think it's just we we attacking it on so many levels, Chris. I can't I can't give it to you in in, in one session. <laughs> a lot that's happening, man. It's, it's been it's absolutely so amazing. And, and but but I want you to try to share some of the levels because you mentioned you know trying to educate uh, law enforcement and trying to uh, right. enlighten young kids so that they don't take the wrong path. Can you also talk about how you guys have been helping so many families? I remember oh. at one point y'all were all over the news because. Y'all are providing either checks or food to families. Yes, yes, yes. We definitely did. That was during the pandemic. That was that was before uh, the government. Yes, before the stimulus checks. Family. Yeah. Yes, we we get here in Dallas. We gave out a half a million dollars to families. It was it came in a, a payment of five hundred dollars. You didn't have to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork. It won a strenuous process. All you had to do was say, "I have been affected by the pandemic." And we would, and, and you got five hundred dollars, and we did that in partnership with our uh, our partner, Stand Together Foundation, and mm-hmm. the Family uh, Independence Initiative, which gave away probably I think to the tune of one hundred and fifty million nationwide to people 
And so that's that's always been uh, Omar and our mission, man. We we partner with whoever want to do right and nobody to do wrong. And our job is to bring the resources to the people. So you 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 know over the years we've partnered with a lot of different people uh, across different political affiliations because we never believed in a in a in a, in a political identity. We right. Just said our people our people got permanent issues, not permanent positions. So That's right. We we addressing the issues. So if you if you willing to help us address the issues and and provide resources. And help us re- remove barriers to upward mobility for those that are on the bottom. Then you'll partner with us. We're gonna partner right there, and we're gonna make that happen. And that's that's been kind of traditionally how we've been seen here in Dallas, man. We've always focused and figured out how to help those that were at the bottom of the social ladder. You know, you had an event uh, during the pandemic uh, here in Dallas, um, south of Lamar. You had uh, Mark Cuban, Deion Sanders. You had some law enforcement who were making changes in L.A. Uh, can you talk about that event that uh, Bishop Omar had and that you were a major part of? Because I thought it was significant, but that was like one of many that you guys were doing around the country. You even had Van Jones who was doing things, yeah. uh, uh, trying to get the word out about how we can save our communities. Right. We, that was an event that uh, that was the course correction conversation. Uh uh, we had and we had Sabrina Fultz and Trayvon's mother. We had uh, uh, Bernice, not Bernice King, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Martin Luther King's daughter. You even had yeah, the Eddie hearse Keith. from Doctor King's funeral, the 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 yeah. hearse that, that took his 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 coffin to the uh, cemetery. Yes, and, and and the whole point of that was, uh, and we were doing this way before it became popular. Uh, we were we were saying, let's find those that. That, that have different opinions, different positions. Right. How can we bring these people together? Exactly. Find common ground, something that we can we can agree. We even had the the wives of the wives of Alton Sterling and the wives of the officer that was was killed in Baton Rouge on the stage together for the first mm-hmm. time. And, and so, I, and what we were trying to show that pain, no matter who experienced it, feels and looks the same. And so we were saying that through our pain, that's what Bishop was saying, through our pain, that we can find our purpose and that we can find ways to collaborate on things to move our country forward. And that that event was was the was the opening to what then metamorphosed into the Hill of America tour. But it was about bringing people together yes. and showing that we have more in common than we do apart and that we can't allow uh, divisive figures or divisive narratives to keep driving us apart. That as a country, we have to we have to look within, look within, and and really embark on those principles that's found in the Declaration of Independence. We have to really make those principles apply for all of uh, all of our citizens. And that was a that was the purpose of that man. And that was a man. I you know I still kind of catch chills just. Yeah. At the diversity that was on stage, you know, even Mark Cuban, uh, Mark Cuban stepped up to the plate and and helped us. He gifted us with a seed for our uh, our violence interrupted program and AT and T. It was just a beautiful day that day and, and going forward. And I, and I I give all the credit and homage to Bishop, the late great Bishop Omar Jawar, my mentor, my teacher, because was- he he spearheaded that. 
Yeah, it was very impressive. I was so glad to be there for that because, like you said, you were able to get all kinds of different people together to have those kinds of conversations. And to me, it was like another step, a next level of what you guys have been doing with gangs, what you've been doing with law law enforcement and people in communities who are underserved. And and it's allowing people to understand each other and realize that we have more in common than we have that are differences. And just knowing that, wow, you know, we can get some things done. Uh, We're talking with... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I was just just thinking, I said, man, we were... We had a history of negotiating gang conflict. You know, these two pe- these people who shooting at each other. You know, and so we said, we said, what the hell? You know, if we could get gang members to put their guns and quit shooting at each other, it couldn't be that hard to get people who just have different opinions on the same stage and find that common ground. And so you utilizing those skills. You know, Omar and I went to Russia. We Is that right? Russia. Yes, we went to Russia to help. They uh, NGOs deal with gangs and, and, and the stuff that they was experiencing uh, mm-hmm. uh, during that particular time. And, and we were very successful with that. So getting people together in the U.S. to talk about how we can come together and find common ground, you know, we just embarked on those those skill sets. We're talking with Antoine Lucky. He's the president of the Urban Specialists. And we mentioned the great, the late great Bishop Omar. And during the pandemic, a lot of people lost loved ones. They lost people who were close to them. And the urban specialists lost their founder, Bishop Omar, to COVID. And I was wondering if you could explain how that impacted you, because then you became the center of the world of urban specialists and how the organization has been able to thrive without Bishop Omar, who is such an intricate part of it all. Yes, yes, Chris. When when Bishop passed, which was totally unexpected uh for all of us not just me he was my uh anger management coach uh, he was everything you know for me you know uh that kept me straight and kept me on a straight path he was my support system uh one of the smartest persons passionate about human affairs and human issues person that i know i mean he he you know it, i felt like like I walked with Dr. King in that sense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when he, when, you know, when he passed just so much knowledge, you know, and I've seen him in 21 years, just give his whole life to helping other people. You know, that's, he was, he set the, he set the bar in terms of how you help people for real, for real, without ego, you know, without, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to be acknowledged or, or accolades. Sure. He didn't care about that. He, all he cared about was helping people, uh, and that's what he spent his life doing. And that's the bar he he set for me. But when he when he passed, uh, it knocked it knocked all of the fight out of me. You know, it knocked the fight out of me. I mean, I was man. I've I've never cried the way I cried when Bishop passed. The only time I ever cried like that was my grandmother passed in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I experienced that same level of of grief and pain. But I was fortunate that I had a sister, her name is Elizabeth Coke, and I had a uh, a brother named Dr. James McCleary, uh, mm-hmm. Inside Circle, his organization. They came along my, alongside of me, along with my family and friends, immediate family and friends. But it, but it was the counseling and the therapy that they gave me that allowed me to really process. Because it was the first time I ever experienced panic attacks because I was like, I never envisioned my world 
going on without Bishop Omar. I never envisioned that. I always said to him that if I ever die, don't let my mama get no jack leg preacher. You better want to do <laughs> <Right>. my eulogy. <laughs> right. And we always joked about exactly. that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes. You, it never so crossed like, your mind that he might go it never first. never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind whatsoever that he would pass first because he was just such a big, big personality and a big person in my life. And I just, I looked at him as, as a mini God. I just, I'm serious. I looked at him as, I looked, like nothing could happen to Omar. You know, he, he does so much good in the world that I know that nothing could happen to him. And so when that did happen, man, it, it knocked us. It knocked the fight out of me. You know, it knocked the fight mm-hmm. out of me. But they came to my side, my daughter's son, everybody came to my side and helped me to get, to get over that, you know. Cause and I his family I embraced you too, his son, his wife, yeah. his kids. Oh, yeah. Everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like, man, everybody came. We all we all came together. Because we all was dealing with it in our own way. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was grieving in their own way. And that was that was a huge hole that was left in the organization. I never looked at myself in terms of running an organization uh, that soon. Because Bishop always said, hey, man, I'm going to go preach, and you're going to have to run this organization. He always said that, but I never gave weight to that. I never thought about that because... In, in real life, he was Batman, and I was Robin. And right. He, and we weren't confused about that. Right. I'm with him all across the country on every state. I'm the one that's taking his pictures, making sure his videos look right. Hey, you know, in basketball, sure he was Jordan, and you was Pippin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and it was no ego in that. I right. I love supporting my brother. I love making sure he was straight. I, that was my role, and I understood it. He's number one. I'm number two. And so when it happened, you know, it, it changed everything because, uh, and I want, I want, I want unsure in terms of how we move the organization forward because again, we talked every single day. So everything that he, he, we import, he imparted so much. We strategized every day. Yeah. You knew the, the plan. You, you knew the, I knew plan. the plan. Yes. I just didn't see the plan going on without him. And so there was a, this a new normal for me. And then with our team, uh, when that happened, our team was, everybody was shaking, visibly shaking, and not knowing what the future held for them. And and I'll never forget, man, because, and I don't I don't hide some who some of our partners is, because I love our partners, but i never forget at his memorial, Charles Koch walked up to me, and Charles is a good friend of mine. I admire him mm-hmm. to death. You know, I admired his genius. When I finally got to know him and, and be in relationship with him, I, he was he was an uh, Omar too for me, right? In terms mm-hmm. of his how smart he was, and how passionate he was for people, but and and how powerful he was, you know. He is the Godfather. Make no mistake about it. But Charles walked up to me, Charles Coke, and Omar Freeman at his at his memorial, and he and he whispered in my ear. He said these exact words. He said, he said, you got big shoes to fill. He said, but don't worry. We behind you 100%, and we're going to double down and make sure you be successful. And he walked off. And that meant the world to me. You know, Charles yeah. Cope, uh, who he is in the world in terms of that, to say that to me, mm-hmm. meant the world to me. And so, uh, you know, it was that that really made gave me the confidence uh, to really take the organization to the next where and to assure the team to assure the team that we were going to be able to continue the, the legacy and continue the work that we had 
started. The work that we started, we, you know, that gave me, that gave me a lot of hope. Uh, so just having that, man, Chris, really put me in a position because, you know, I, I got friends from all across the country, man. That, that's, I got friends from all across the country, man, who are, who are from those that are broke to those who are on full list at the top. Right. I got friends all over, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, the overpouring support of those friends from across the country who said to me in a text or an inbox or a message or a post that we with you, we got you, 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 you are fitted for the job, handle your business. That was the gas and the motivation that allowed me to continue this organization and the mission of my brother, Bishop Omar. That motivation, the people. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, let me tell you something. Urban Specialist is in great hands, and they've actually come out with a book. There's a book written yeah. about you called A Redemptive Path Forward. I want to kind of go into the book just a little bit, and let me start with something you told me a long time ago <laughs> after we first met, and you said this it's actually changed your life because it inspired you. You said when the judge, you were standing for the judge who was about to put you in prison, and he told what? you you were a menace to society. And that struck you hard because that's not how you were leading your life. Right. Let's Man, let's start you know right what? there. Let's start right there. When that judge said that to me, I was in I had just had my daughter May seventh, right? Mm-hmm. This was two weeks later, May twenty first, and I'm standing in front of this judge. And you gotta know when I had my first daughter that I was thinking about when I bag up a little bit, my father who when I was nine months old, was sentenced to 50 years in prison. And he ultimately did 37 years. So the trauma that I experienced growing up without a father in my life, because my mother closed the door on that chapter. So when when they when he got sentenced, she, she moved on with her life. And nobody ever talked to me or spent any time telling me about my father. He He became, he became a memory. But to me, he was a probing question that I wanted to know as a kid, as a young man growing up. And I remember how I felt, right? How I felt not knowing, feeling dumb that I didn't know who my father was. I didn't know anything about it. I felt, and I bottled it up as a kid because I had no one to talk to. I, it felt dumb to even ask somebody about your father, something you're supposed to inherently know. And so I, when my daughter was born, I thought about all that. Because I, before she was born, I said, if I ever have kids, I would never be to them what my father was to me, absent. 
I'll never be out, and I want to be there. I'll mm-hmm. never be out. Mm-hmm. So, so I got that playing in the background in my mind, right? And it's, and I'm standing in front of this judge saying, I got to get back to my daughter, and, I, and I'm going to do everything I can to be in my daughter's life, et cetera, et cetera. That's it playing in my head. And then the judge says, you're a menace to society. You deserve prison. And I remember Chris standing there saying, but judge, you don't understand. Like, I'm from South Dallas. I'm from East Dallas, Southeast Dallas, to be exact. And that's the that's the, that's the the name of the neighborhood survive. But that ain't who I really am. I had to play this part just to survive. And I'm having this conversation in my head, like in real time. And none of the words coming out of my mouth. It's just in my head. But I'm saying I'm not. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And so that was the changing point for me because I said to myself in that moment, if they would lead me to the back, how in the hell did I go from a talented and gifted A on the road student who loved education, who loved my family, to a judge saying that I'm a minister to society? It just it just contradicted the very constitution <laughs> inside of me. You know, I had did some things and I own up to it, but I want a bad kid. I want a I want no evil kid. I I did things that I felt was necessary for my survival, but I want no cruel and evil person. And so that prompted me to be very, very introspective from the time he hit that gavel. I wanted to know, like, how did this happen? Like, how did I go from that to this? And I began to replay and retrace and rethink everything that happened from the point of me being a kid to the point that I amputated my personality to be something else. And see, and I, and I understand that it's, and, 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 it's, and it plays to my passion because I understand that there are hundreds of thousands of young black geniuses in our community and underserved urban communities that have to make that same choice that I made, that, 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 that they're, they, right. they're genius inside them. They're good kids. But because of the environmental situation, because of the lack of this, or because of the missing absentee father, because of this, that they have to make choices against who they really are just to survive. I want to change that. I wanted to, I wanted to change that because I felt that if had I had individuals who could have poured into me, who understood where I was, who understood where I sat, that could navigate me through the terrain, I think I probably would have ended up somewhere else. You know, I think I would have mm-hmm. ended up probably running a Fortune 500 company mm-hmm. and, and doing a lot of help. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But God is good. I'm, I'm, I appreciate where I'm at now. But that's my mission. It was that day in court that I said to myself, man, I got to change me, not the system. I got to change me. And, and, and I went into prison with that thought. And I'm going to change me. Well, you have been doing an amazing job. You've been doing amazing things. We're going to get some more into this book, but I want to read a couple of reviews on this book because the book is that great. And I'm saying it's not because you're my friend and you're here from Dallas and, you know, you made an impact here, a positive impact, not only in North Texas, but across the country. But I got to read a couple of these reviews just for the listeners. Quote, with breathtaking candor, Anton Lucky shares his compelling journey from devastating poverty and incarceration to neighborhood leader in low-income Dallas communities, becoming a nationally recognized activist. His story will inform and inspire others, unquote. 
Antoine Lucky's experience is an undeniable lesson in the ways people can transform themselves, each other, and their communities in ways the criminal legal system can never do. Antoine Lucky reveals harsh realities and presents compassionate activism for timeless hope and a renewal of the belief that fearless love will win. Anton Lucky profoundly moves moving memoir offers a searing portrait of a young man caught between the laws of America's unjust legal system and the laws of the street. His natural leadership is burning this is turning this idea of redemptive activism into a force for good to be reckoned with. Another one, Antoine Lucky's redemptive journey from the most dangerous man in his neighborhood to an ambassador of peace should be required reading for anyone who wants to understand what authentic transformation truly requires. I know you got to be impressed with people who've <laughs> said those things about you. That's got to be, uh, yeah. especially considering where you came from and where you are. Uh, yeah, sometimes I, when, I, when, I, when I was reading those, man, I was just like, wow, because I've dedicated my life to being an example, to being a to being the embodiment of transformation and, and, and redemption. I wanted to be that and I had to be authentically that and I've been authentically that since I've I've I've, I've changed in prison. You know, one mm-hmm. thing that people can say is that, you know, I, I've always been authentically showing up as who I am, my truth, uh and not siding with things that, that inconvenience me or things that contrary to my truth. I always search for truth. No matter where I find that, I accept the truth for what it is. And I think this book is evident of that because I wanted to share that truth, not in a way of a hood novel or urban novel or something like that. I wanted to share it in a way that it could be digestible, not just for the young kid that's in Fraser Court Housing Project, but I want the academia at at Harvard, uh, to be able to read this book and say, wow, this is new information, this new insight, and be amazed by how honest and candid it is about my story. Because I don't, I don't pull no punches. I show you the flaws of uh, my thinking uh, and, and to me acknowledging uh, the truth, you know, of my situation. And so, and I, and, it, and, I, and just hearing those, those, those blurbs, man, is, is indicative of everything that went into this book, you know, that, um, yeah. you know, tr- trying to provide that way for people, man. I want people to be inspired. Cause I remember Chris, man, when I was in prison and I kid you not, I read, I read two books that literally changed my life. And it was, the first book was make you want to holler by Nathan McCall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that book right there, man. Oh my, I got, I have that book on my shelf today. The way, me yeah. following Nathan McCall's story in Portsmouth, Virginia, and the similarities and the experiences, it changed my. It made me know that that change, transformation and change was possible because he achieved it. Another book was A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and he talked about his experience in the Auschwitz concentration camps uh, and how you know all around him people were dying because they they lost hope, right? Mm-hmm. And he had this quote that he said. He said, those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. And I remember that quote when I read that, man, and, and it made the experience of prison, because make no mistake about it, prison is not to rehabilitate you. Uh, it, it's designed to break you down. And so 
and you and I've seen a lot of people lot lose hope in prison, but reading Victor Frankel's situation uh, and Man's Search for Meaning provided me with the motivation and hope I need to look at that situation and say that if he made it out his situation as worse as his situation was, that I can make make it out myself. Those two brothers and of course Alex Haley, uh sure. the, Malcolm X uh mm-hmm. Biography, you know, that transformation story gave me the motivation to say that I can do the same. And I want my book. I wrote my book in a way that it that I'm hoping that it'll have the same effect on those who read it, that they'll say, man, wow. I think you're exactly right. And I like the fact that you brought up that people have to have a why. You have to have a purpose-driven yeah. life, and you feel yeah. more fulfilled, and, and you feel more empathetic, and you, you can reach other people, and they can say, wow, I, I have an opportunity too. Um, right. My favorite quote growing up was, some people see things as they are and ask why. I dream things that never were yeah. and ask why not. And Robert yeah. F. Kennedy said that way back in the day, and I've always said, why and why not? You know, there's a chance people can do something. And I like the fact that they've written a book about you and that you've got this book out because literally your story is inspiring. And it's just, a, a, I call it another platform to reach people. I think one of the things yeah. that you do so well is you listen to people and you also yeah. bring people together so that they can listen and learn from each other. And I think that's yeah. so important in this world today. I mean, whether you're doing the live events whether you're doing speaking engagements, whether you're doing televised events, whether you're doing streaming events online, I think this book is just another platform to you. Is that one of the ways you look at it as well? Man, that's that's exactly the way I, I look at it. I was I was just two weeks ago. I went to uh, Michael's unit right uh, down in East Texas, Tennessee mm-hmm. Colony. Yep, Tennessee and Colony. I had the, yes, I had the opportunity, man, to speak to. 250 brothers they're called g4 inmates these are inmates who are who are minimum been in prison 10 years some have been in as as much as 30 or 40 years done but they call g g4 g5 inmates some of them never getting out some of them are approaching getting out and so it's a program designed it's called a life coaching designed for those inmates you know, because they keep the cadence out of prison. Mm-hmm. They're the most violent, the most dangerous inmate because they don't have nothing to lose, right? And so they, they TDC, and shout out to uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, uh, they they piloting this program where they are focusing on those inmates, right? How do we help them mm-hmm. uh, become better peer support, et cetera, et cetera? And, I, and so they did their first graduation two weeks ago, and I went down and, and – and, uh, it's my first time going back in, in many years, but I spoke to those brothers, man, and I had my books too, uh, and I and I spoke to those brothers, man, mm-hmm. just about the possibilities and all the things that I've learned and talked about in my book, and to see these men, uh, the way they received that and the way they they afterwards, the way that they talked to me yeah. about. They needed that and that that they need motivation from brothers uh, such as myself who overcome all of the hurdles and obstacles that's been placed in front of me. And I and I, and I use my book, Chris, and, and one thing I told him, right, I said, make no mistake about it that, uh, yeah, I'm, I wrote a book, yeah, I'm running an organization, yeah, I help a lot of people, et cetera, et cetera. 
I said, when you choose this path, this path that I'm on, it's not without the temptations uh, and it's not without the, the snares and traps. So I don't want to make, I don't want to make it seem like if you choose this road that, 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 that your problems and that, 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 the, the temptations and all that stuff go away. I said, in fact, it magnify. Mm-hmm. I said, but but the key is when you when you are in this season that you are in right now, when you decide to look at in that stainless steel mirror, and I know you can't see it clearly, but I remember looking at it myself over your toilet. I said, but you have to see the person in the mirror, and once you change that person, then any obstacles that come your way you're better prepared to navigate them. You're better prepared. You're not going to be perfect, but you're better prepared to navigate those obstacles. But you have to change and work on and be accountable to the person that you see in the mirror. I said, so this book and everything else that I'm doing, it's, it's cool, and I, and I love everything about it, but I'm not perfect, and, and, and it's not without situations coming at you. They're going to come at you. And, and as men, I said, you have sons that are out in this out of this app is free that's missing you because you here and it's your responsibility your responsibility to get yourself together to go back out so that you can get your sons together so they don't end up in here dealing with the stuff that you're dealing with and so and i and i talked about my book and my time in prison and it, it just it, it man it, it brought so much so I left feeling so full. Yeah, right? it's, it's I rewarding. Can, I can see it. It's yeah. very rewarding. And you know what? It's very timely this time of the year because it is the time of the year where people graduate. And by the way, every yeah. time I talk to you, I find out we have more and more in common. Do you know that I actually got asked to speak at the graduation for the Seagullfield uh, prisoners? Wow. And, and wow. people don't like, how can they graduate? They get to graduate to get a GED yeah. or whatever it is, yeah. and their families get to be there and watch them uh, go across the stage. It's so rewarding, and so are you. And I'm I'm yeah. glad to have you on the show today. We will have you on again, too. we got to do this again, I'm, Antoine. Man, I, I appreciate you, Chris. And I should have said this up front, man. You, and, and I've said it in private, so I can tell you public. But you are an example, man and the embodiment of how we supposed to be as men, you know. You are you have always been that, uh someone to look up to. You you've always done that. You always use your man. platform. I I model my stuff after you because you've always used your platform to help and shine light and bring awareness. And I've done the same. But I've watched you. I've watched you. I've watched you. I study you. And that's why I'm I'm great I'm grateful to be able to say you're my friend. I'm honored to say you're my friend. Some people don't believe me when I say you're my friend. <laughs> Man, I, no, we are friends. Guy. I appreciate you so much, Antoine. Thank yes, you so much man. again today. I mean, we will do this again. We've got to. Yes, but, indeed, man. And 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 I and I, and I end with this, Chris. Mm-hmm. Tell the listeners to go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, wherever you can buy a book at, and I got the Audible to purchase a redemptive path forward. And are gifted to someone uh, in their family, in their prison. And I promise you, they're going to they're gonna thank us later. Exactly. It is life-changing. He's Antoine Lucky. The organization, of course, is Urban Specialist. You can find them at urbanspecialist.org. I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thank you for joining me. Tune in next week as we focus on other organizations and individuals doing great things in our community right here on Better Living. So long, everybody. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.